over the course of the retreat, we've offered you rather comprehensive uh, instructions and guidance and any number of techniques and ways of dealing with the different physical and mental phenomena that arise. And you had the opportunity to practice any or all of them that you found useful. But in the end, a life of awareness is not about becoming a technician or becoming a perfectionist at your Dharma practice, but rather it is living life with awareness. And to the extent that we're able to sustain a continuity of awareness, we can navigate the inevitable vicissitudes of life, the ups and downs, the challenges. It's always good to have a, a toolkit with a lot of tools that you know how to use when necessary. You now have the tools and with more practice will become more proficient in their use. But we also need to trust that life can be lived with awareness without making it happen but rather just recognizing that awareness is present. As we've mentioned before, you may forget the Dharma. You may forget that you want to be mindful. You may forget what to do, how to do, but the Dharma won't forget you. You've been planting many seeds of awareness. Some have sprouted, some have not. But they will, when conditions are ripe, some seed of mindfulness will sprout and call you back from being lost in some daydream or thought. So it's good to also practice trusting that to happen. So take a period of time this morning to just sit do nothing. Don't pick up a technique to use or a tool. And anytime you want to remind yourself to do something, to be mindful, or you notice the impulse to apply a technique, just put it aside. And just notice how effortlessly awareness just seeps in to the present moment, recognizing, oh, this is the way it is right now for me. Let that be good enough.
So I, end, <coughs> I ended sitting early so that we could have <coughs> an extended period of questions this morning, as a few of you requested. And this afternoon, there will be uh, a talk on and an opportunity to ask questions about practicing at home or outside of intensive retreat. So as this gentleman has asked, if you ask succinct questions of any one of us, we'll give you our best shot. So the question is, if you don't have regular access to a teacher, is there any way to know that you really are practicing effectively in a way that will establish your life in the Dharma? Is that the question? No. <laughs> and I say that because we need to hear the Dharma, we need to practice the Dharma, and then we need to check our understanding with both the source material, text, but also the practical application, which is what generally teachers like ourselves have done. The power of delusion, and I should say self-delusion, is immense. We are perfectly willing to delude ourselves in ways that we have yet imagined, have not yet imagined. It's just unbelievable. And so hopefully the role of a teacher for you would be to kind of pop your, pop your balloon uh, gently and uh, get your feet back on ground so that you can continue finding the path. That being said, there is just a tremendous amount of source material available, um, both in books and online, and uh, interactive uh, online, interactive online with uh, any number of teachers. And other teachers do make themselves available either through online courses or through personal contact if you're willing to uh, approach them and you're willing to do the practice. Indifferent? I don't think it's because Steve doesn't know the answer. <laughs> when indifference is present, there, there's a sense that there's a lack of connection. You, you can tell that. In, uh, there could be a little bit of impatience, too. Or in indifference, there could be a lot of delusion, but there, you might also feel some aversion, like... I'm tired, I don't want to connect, or, you know, 
um, you, you're just feeling yourself turn away or closing in. So that could be indifference. And you know what you can tell in another person? Just see if that's in yourself sometimes. And you might be able to name what that is, or what at least what you think it is, and see what whether that's going on in yourself. Um, so for me, it's more like a, I feel like I'm closing down, or I'm distancing myself, or I'm turning away, um, or I just, in the moment, I, I just don't care very much. And a lot of times it's because we're tired or because um, we've got something else going on in, in our lives. So it's not to make indifference all bad, you know, there are the causes and conditions. And uh, how can we, what was the second question? Once we recognize indifference, how can we move that towards equanimity? Well, it's moving it towards more connection. So sometimes I ask questions. Well, can you explain how do you feel about that? You know, and so I get in touch with another person. If I'm in front of that person, I can get in touch with how they're feeling underneath the whole story of things. Because sometimes I can get more interested in it when I know the heart of the matter rather than hearing all the details of the story, for example. So getting more connected would help by asking questions, or if they're not there, by um, sometimes it's by turning the attention more to compassion, and that way we can get more connected. By turning to compassion, I mean that we take our attention and we really we turn it to whatever suffering that person is going through, or whatever joy that person is going through. That's what I mean when the indifference is my own about that person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the question is about walking and the graduated path of difficulty from sitting to crawling to walking to eating to talking to working to um, well you know it's easier to learn how to drive in an empty parking lot rather than a freeway if you're just trying to learn to drive so too it's easier in a way to learn how to be mindful and what mindfulness is in a quiet still environment than in the full activity of life so there is some truth to what you were inquiring we should understand that the format of a retreat like this the silence the schedule the the simplicity of just sit walk 
the singularity of only hearing and talking about Dharma, uh, the regular check-ins with teachers to uh, see how you're doing, all of that is just an artificial construct. It's just a format. It's just a construct. We're not going to live our lives like that. But the tools that we develop through this kind of training are useful in the full range of life's activities, everything. So our practice upon leaving here is really to do some amount of formal training like this, sitting silently or whatever, but also really making a commitment and following through and making the effort to establish a continuity of awareness throughout all of life's activities, a little bit at a time. Just, just try. And you can pick, you know, any number of ways to do that. Single habits that you do, that you have, brush your teeth every day, make it a practice, feed the cat every day, make it a practice, check your email every day, You'll really have a good practice, <laughs> you know. So, and yes, some, some activities are more difficult to stay present with just because of the pace or the amount of uh, attachment you have to it or the amount of aversion you have to it, something like that. Uh, the woman on the side there. Why the, why the phrases are not directed? Why don't you turn yourself? In the dear friend... <laughs> we got to shut him up sometimes. the dear friend category, it includes that. Yeah, so I don't know if you've heard me say a loved one, a family member, you know, a dear friend. That's all the same in that category. Yeah. If you want to have a specific phrase, it's okay. Uh, yeah, just be careful that when the phrase gets too specific, we tend to have attachment to the outcome. Like, uh, you know, may you please, whatever, fill in the blank. <laughs> Put it on. Okay. Um, <laughs> my little grandson, the four-year-old, the other day, he, he wanted to say a prayer, you know, at the table. And so he, he loved that I gave him some cheese. So he, he said, uh, Tutu, that means grandma, let's say a prayer. I said, okay. You know, prayer is like metta. And so he said, dear Jesus, thank you for this wonderful feta cheese. <laughs> and then he said, and please help my brother stop bothering me. You know, so those, that's the kind of specificity that can, <laughs> that's really got attachment in there. 
So that's why we make the phrases very general, very general. But remember, too, that usually the complicated ones are in the difficult person category. And those are often our, our best friends and people that are really close to us because it is complex. You know, there's a lot of love, but there's, there can be a lot of challenge, too. It's a mix. So the question is about, um, what was the question about? <laughs> feeling, feeling discouraged, like, okay, like I get more than four hours of sleep at night, so this isn't going to go anywhere for me. Or Got it. Okay. So discouragement and its, its connection with doubt and what it does to practice. I think like any of the defilements or any of the challenges, I would initially just try to look at it with some curiosity and say, as if, oh, discouragement has arisen. What can I learn about that? Let me see. Ah, oh, I hate to practice when I feel discouraged. You know, and you know, I feel kind of, you know, the posture slumps and the mind gets dark. And, and you just notice these about discouragement. That's what discouragement is. <clears throat> so that we're not, so that with, with the curiosity to know the nature of discouragement or the nature of anything, there's usually a period of time when you can have some intentional interest and to do it. What happens is when discouragement, three, this is a three-dimensional instruction, discouragement arises and we jump in it and say, I'm so discouraged. And then we're, we're sunk. There's no opportunity or there's very little opportunity to be aware. But if we can have some recognition of discouragement is being known, discouragement is being known, then, oh, then as long as you can sustain this knowing of discouragement, then you're not lost in it. There'll be some awareness of it. And that is actually a wholesome state of mind. The awareness is wholesome. The, the object is, is just a mental state. So it's when we're identified with it and there's no awareness, then it's an unwholesome state. So see if you can cognitively reframe your understanding of what you're doing in practice, which is to gain understanding, knowledge and understanding of the nature of these mental states and physical experiences and and cognitive chatter and you know so that you approach it from a uh, a curious to learn perspective rather than a, I got to get rid of this in order to to be doing it right or whatever because it is understanding that removes the defilements from the mind temporarily and 
eventually uproots them. It's understanding. So as much understanding as you can gain from looking at that. All that being said, if it's overwhelming and you're really feeling discouraged, get out of there. Meaning, turn, <laughs> turn your attention to some other object that is neutral or is inspiring or is kind of more energizing. And it can be nothing more than going for a walk or go have a cup of tea or put yourself in a situation where there's a little more uh, energy, a little more uh, interest, a little more like that. So that you're still being mindful, but you've changed the object of your mindfulness in order to brighten the mind, energize the mind, refresh the mind, strengthen the, the wholesome faculties. And then you can go back to either take a look at discouragement if it's still there, or have a little more stamina, strength when and if it does arise again. Yeah. It, I just want to mention, that, that is a big shift in, in practice. It's, it is to, to move from using the experience that arises to judge yourself in your practice to using the experience that arises as an object for learning more about the nature of the mind, the nature of the body. It's a big shift, but it's, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I found myself yesterday afternoon with sinking mind. Sinking mind. Um, it took me a while to recognize it, but then I couldn't remember what the instruction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this is, you know, so he had sinking mind just the afternoon, took him a while to recognize it, then he couldn't remember what the instructions were for dealing with it. <laughs> Well, this is the problem with all the defilements, you know? It's like, I remember somebody saying something about that. <laughs> uh, like that. But sinking mind, sinking mind is a unique f form of something like torpor. But it really is the stillness, the tranquility, the equanimity gets up there. And it can be just through the stillness of the body and, and the stillness of the body and things get subtle and, and still. And the mental energy doesn't keep up to where it's balanced. And so to use the pair that Kamala spoke about, concentration and energy. Concentration is high, energy is weak, and it's just close to falling through the bottom. You don't need to disturb your concentration, you need to raise the mental energy. And the way to do that is to take a period of time, and it may only be two or three or four sub-vocal, clear notes or labeling of the experience. Calmness, stillness, subtle, quiet, pleasant, enjoying. Okay, that mental energy, you know, that, that mental energy, then you can. Then you're. It is. It is more in balance with the tranquility and the concentration. So it's. It's. It's just that. The feeling is. I don't have any energy. I'm asleep. I can't do anything. I, you know. You just kind of. And so to think. Oh yeah. Calmness. <laughs> to. It's hard. It's hard to think to do that and then to do it. But if you do it, it it's amazing how effective it is for lifting you. Um, open your eyes is is okay. Uh, that's 
there's many antidotes to sleepiness, sloth and torpor. Um, opening your eyes is one. But what is it? What actually happens when you open your eyes is the contact you have with vis with seeing is more is stronger than just mentally recognizing calmness. You know, yeah? So actually, it, it kind of takes you away from the experience and gives you a strong contact. Oh, and kind of brightens the mind. That, that's okay, but it's more like if you're overwhelmed by the by it, then do that. If you want to learn about sinking mind, do this. Succinct. Yeah. If you're engaged in a long period of something that is kind of painful or vulgar or something, very not not interesting per se, at what point at what point do you because part of if you want to be mindful in practice, how much is it really being mindful of just being right there with it and watching your thoughts? And at what um, what I'm confused about, where does it become productive to actually decide to direct your mind a fair amount of the time? For example, for loving kindness or just the proportion. I understand that sometimes we want to direct it, but let's say we feel like we need more of that. If we just, is there any point at which? Yeah. So the question is, when do you just stay with something? uninteresting, boring, challenging, whatever, or when do you turn your attention away to another practice, like loving-kindness, whatever. This is, uh, this is a challenge for all of us, is how much do we want to just stay with and learn from experience that's difficult, challenging, overwhelming, or nearly overwhelming, and how much do we want to get symptomatic relief in order to strengthen the mind, take another look. And there's no universal right answer. We each have to try it for ourselves. And sometimes we'll stay too long with a difficult experience and we'll get overwhelmed and defeated, losing confidence in the process. Well, we learn from that, not to do that again. Other times we'll just find that we're just turning quickly to loving-kindness or compassion with every little flicker of you know, uh, aversion or discomfort, physical or mental, emotional discomfort. And we're not, we get good at metta, but we may not be learning about these states of mind. And so uh, right effort in practice is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong growing uh, you know, and we just refine our uh, perception of when is appropriate to do this, when is it appropriate to do that. Yeah. Um, I think this is a technique question, but I'm not sure. Um, sometimes I get a, a headache in my third eye. I think I'm, I'm maintaining balance between focus, uh, mindfulness, so focused in my third eye, I'm actually feeling almost a headache. Yeah. So I, I then try to work on really letting go and it's 
So the comment is about a lot of tension uh, in the third eye area in the forehead and just uh, trying to relax and trying to be balanced and trying to be not too intense about it and it still can be quite a process to uh, either relieve it, release it, or get comfortable with it. Uh, first let me just say it's, it's, it's quite common that um, people have either tension in the forehead or bands of steel around their head or just a lot of pressure in the head. So it's, it's, it's not that you're doing something wrong, really. I mean, you might be really, you know, trying and that, you know, but even if you're not really squinting, shrugging, just gonna grit in your teeth, still you can have a tremendous amount of uh, tension in the forehead. I would deal with it as just another unpleasant object, physical object to be born with patients and and being careful not to kind of go at it with a bore, boring into it type of uh, attention, or nor with a an agenda to get rid of it. But watch the mind that says, "This is bothering me. This is interfering with my practice. This is uh, indicative of bad practice." Because those thoughts kind of come up because it's it's there. Just notice those as judging thoughts, as the kind of thoughts they are, and just put them aside and know that it's just there due to conditions, some of which you may know, some of which you may not know. And see if you can establish a relationship of one of tolerant neglect. Yeah? The one on the wall. And I'm what? Leaving that theater Got it. in my mind. Yeah. Um, and it seemed to really work. Uh, just sunk into a whole different place. <clears throat> but my question is, it seems like setting up some kind of position in the mind when you're doing that. And I'm going into that, you know, putting myself down for that part of my mind as being that obsessive part. So I don't, I mean, it seemed to work, but I don't know if it's something I should sure. So did you, did you hear the question generally? No. So uh, she has obsessive thoughts at times, unlike the rest of us. <coughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, and last night she tried something different. She could see that she was heading into an obsessive train of thought and just didn't really want to go there. And just said, danger, danger, you know, doo -doo 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 -doo. attention, get your attention here, er, 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 er. don't go here without your awareness. And having had that kind of startled reaction, her mind just dropped it and dropped into another place. And 
it seemed like, well, that was effective, but what happened to that obsessive stuff? And, and didn't I just kind of cut it out of the mind and, and something like that, right? No. <laughs> um, good technique for, you know, if you really feel, you know, that you're going under <laughs> in whatever way, you're going on, you're, the slope is down. Uh, put the brakes on, and if it's like, danger, danger, or wake up, you know, this is when, you know, the Zen master hits you with the stick. Okay, not going down that slope. Okay, so if you can do that for yourself, fine. The source of the obsession, or the source of the tension, or the source of the whatever, it's still in the mind. It will come back later. later. You know, hopefully when you have more, you know, uh, more energy and stamina and awareness to deal with it. So sometimes, it's a, good, it's a good question because sometimes we see a technique that works and we kind of want to know, can I always rely on this? No. <laughs> you can for a while, maybe, or in particular situations, it may be effective, but there'll be other times when it won't be effective. And in the, in the longest, you know, when you take the longest perspective or the biggest perspective of what it is we're doing here and the fulfilling of the full path of awakening, we will eventually have to come to terms with everything that's in there, everything that's in here. And if we can't deal with it right now, that's okay. Get some symptom relief, put it aside however you can, kind of package it up, put it back in the closet, keep moving you will eventually have to revisit that closet. But, you know, you may have more knowledge, more understanding, more renunciation, more as tools to help you deal with it then. Okay. I'm sure we could stay and take questions for a couple more hours, but we have other things to do. <laughs> so, um, now, please, today there will be, and it's posted on the board, there's some change schedule this afternoon, a short sitting 2 to 2.30, Dharma talk at 3 o'clock about practicing at home and, and questions about that. And then there'll be some information from retreat organizers and managers and stuff like that from 4 to 5. Okay, But please keep the silence. Please keep the continuity of your practice going. And just watch. You know, even though it's Saturday, the retreat ends tomorrow, there's a sense of, oh, you know, the mind starts lifting out of seclusion and starts getting excited and planning and just watch what, how we construct the future out of thoughts. And then we got to live it out. There used to be a banner upstairs in the attic, a big banner that said, the true yogi has no future. <laughs> Meaning, you know, you recognize that the future is a thought that's just happening now. I mean, it's just a thought. Whatever you think about tomorrow, is, <laughs> it's just a thought. So, watch that. <laughs> and you can just name it Futuring, Futuring, or something like that. Okay? Yeah, I did. Oh, okay. Three o'clock. Three o'clock? 
please all be here. Deborah will give a talk on something of importance to all of you. <laughs> Just because Deborah's younger and she's in her raising family stage, you don't want to underestimate the wisdom there. Okay. Enjoy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.